Okay, we are on Daf Tesai and Omid Beis. We introduced the topic of what the word kushi means. And kushi does not necessarily have to mean a dark-skinned person, per se. But just like dark skin. Whoa. Why? Yes. One second. I have to make sure. Am I going? Yes. And just like a dark-skinned when it's with a lot of white skin, it sticks out, it's noticeable. So we were saying about Shoal, his righteousness was noticeable. So now we're going to give, I believe, three more examples of the term Kushi to not mean a dark-skinned person, but someone who's distinct in a certain area. So we move on to the next. Uh, I'm sorry, let's back it up one. Okay, let's do it one more time. Kiyotsevidover, similarly, Atomer, you can say the same thing when now when Miriam and Aaron were speaking against Moshe regarding alodos ha'isha hakushis asher lokach, regarding this kushite woman that he took. Now that's the whole story where Miriam found out from Tzipora that Moshe no longer had relations with his wife because he was always on call to get prophecy from Hashem. So it calls Tzipora the kushi woman. So why was she called a kushi woman? Or or the Isha HaKushis? Vechi Kushis Shma? Is Kushis her name? Okay. Now obviously even Kushis would not be a name but a nationality. A nationality. So the Gemara is bothered by the fact that we know Moshe's wife's name was Tzipara. So why are we calling her a Kushis? So why this description? So that's the Gemara's discussion. So therefore, Ella ma kushis, but just like kushis, mishuna ba'or is unusual in the aspect of her skin. Av tzipora mishuna ba'maisim. So too was tzipora unusual in her deeds because she was extremely modest. So that is why she's called a kushi in that area. Similarly, Atomer, you could say the following by... The, the Kushite king, okay? This this, this Pasuk is either referring to the Kushite servant of the king, like Rashi said, or as Eved Melech, the Kushite. Either way, the term Kushite describes the servant. But Argamor understands to be a characterization of King Tzitkiyahu. So we're calling the Eved Melech HaKushi, so Marsha explains that since the verse uses the definitive article Hakushi, the Kushi, it refers to a king mentioned previously, which is Tzitkiyo, and not a servant. Be that as it may, it's a reference to the great Tzadik Tzitkiyo, and he was referred to as a Kushit. V'chi Kushi Shmo was his name Kushi, v'lo Tzitkiyo Shmo, his name was Tzitkiyo. Eloma kushi mishuna bar, just like the kushi is unusual in the aspect of their skin. Tzitkiyo mishuna b'maisav. So Tzitkiyo was unusual in his aspects of his deeds, that he was very righteous and he brought the whole nation back to do tshuva. So that's another example. We have another example of kushi, where it says in Amos, Hello, kivnei kushiim atem liben Israel. Behold to me, you are like children of the Kushites to me, O children of Israel. 
So the children of Israel are called Kushim. But are we really Kushites? Hello, Yisrael Shman, but we are Israelites. Just like a Kushi is unusual in the aspect of their skin. So the Jews are different from all the other nations in regard to their deeds. But here, the Navi characterizes the Jews as different from the other nations in a pejorative sense. Whereas the nations refused to abandon their despicable and inferior idolatry, Israel forsook the exalted worse of Hashem to homage to images of wood and stone. So we're, we're characteristically, unusually bad. We have the true God and we give it up. So that makes us stick out in a bad way here. It's in Musr. So therefore, Kushi just means unusually Different, different, distinctly different. Would be good or bad. So we gave three examples of it being good, and now the final one is to show it's an example of bad. Okay, so we digressed a little. Now we go back to the previous digression, <laughs> and that was when David Amelach's last words of Nevoah, to which we remember he said, oh, that means it must be first words of Nevoah. So now we go back to that <coughs> prophecy of David. So now we go through various verses of these last words. That's how we started last words. Remember the, how we started? The student was learning with the Rebbe. They said, what's the shot last words? What were the first words? Well, I don't know. But some Cherem. That got us from Cherem. And now, so now we're going to go back to the Nevoah of the last words. And that's going to take quite a while from the bottom and I believe to the top of the next page. Now that we've mentioned the last words, so let's go and explain some of the last words. My dear Steve, what does it mean what the following sentence says? Noum David ben Yishai, the words of David the son of Yishai. Unaum hagever, who come all, and the words of the man who was, who come all. And that, we don't know what those words mean, we're talking about a kid of David, but what does it mean, who come all? So, Naum David, the words of David ben Yishai, we know that what? Shehu, it's a contraction now. Shehu come Ola Shel Tshuva. He established the world of the Ola, the benefits of Tshuva. So, the word all is a derivative of Toeles. You see, Toeles has. The words Ayin Lamed over there. Let me move this over. Ayin Lo over there. So Ola, Ola is got there. So it comes from the word Tovelas, the benefits of Tshuva, because uh, he was able to show how, how well Tshuva can be done, although he did a few nasty Averos. But he finally uh, did Tshuva, and he conquered his Yetzirah completely. Okay? Now, the reason, so here's the question. Why was it that he sinned with Bathsheba? So the Gomorrah and Avodah Zarah says, really, David was not suited to do that affair at all. But Hashem, so to speak, set him up, stacked the deck against him so that he would sin, so that we could learn how to do tshuva from him. In other words, he normally would not, he was on a level that he would not have sinned, but Hashem created circumstances that convinced him that this behavior would be the best behavior. And therefore, 
Why? Why does he need him to sit? To now be a role model for others to do tshuva. That even though he was a big person, and we have to be honest about this, what politician ever admits something where this wasn't public knowledge? You have to remember, this was not public knowledge. It was all done, all very discreetly. Okay? But then he, 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 it was brought out to not cover it up so people could understand that there's a concept of true to be done. So anyway, that's just what it means, the words of David the king who, who established for us the benefits of tshuva. Okay, so now what else does he say? Omar, he, so he said, Omar Elokei Yisrael, the God of Israel said, Li Diber Sur Yisrael. Ah, to me, the rock of Israel has spoken. So Shelley understands that better than everyone else in the room because last night in the Ramah we described what the word sur means. Sur, we said, can mean a rock, can mean a mountain, it can mean a quarry, and it can also mean the beginning of something, the root of something. And we call Hashem the Tzur Yisrael. It's good to know every day we say Tzur Yisrael, right? Tzur Yisrael means not here in this concept, God is not a rock, so to speak. He is the root of everything. That's the Tzur Yisrael. So he says, so the rock of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoken to me, the ruler of men, the righteous man rules through the fear of God. Okay, so a righteous one who rules, so the simple meaning is through the fear of God. What does that mean? He rules, the righteous rules through the fear of God. How do you rule through the fear of God? My kamar, what does the Pasuk mean? Amar explains it's hachi kamar. This is what it means. Amar elokei Yisrael so the God of Israel said to me, Sur Yisrael, the rock of Israel, has spoken to me. And this is what Hashem said. Normally, Ani Moshel Badam. Hashem says, I rule over men. I'm the king. Me, Moshel be. So who rules over me? I'm the one who's supposed to rule over everybody. Who does rule over me? Sadik, a righteous man, rules over Hashem. And that's what David says. Shani Gozer, uh, so Hashem says, Shani Gozer Xerah, I can make a decree of a harsh punishment. Umevatla, and the tzaddik can cancel it out. So that's the idea that a tzaddik can cancel it out. So that's what it means. He rules through his fear of Hashem. What does that mean? He can rule even over Hashem by showing proper Yerushamayim. And that's why Sadik goes there. We have it the other way too. Sadik goes there. Sadik can decree, and Hashem will fulfill what the Sadik says. Why? Because the Sadik reaches levels of being very close to Hashem, and as it were, Hashem allows the Sadik to be able to daven and overturn Hashem's decrees. And that's because he has this Yira Shemayim. He has this understanding of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. He can plead on behalf of the Jewish people, and he's like a partner with HaKadosh Baruch in the world. Hashem allows him to be a partner, and therefore he'll allow the tzaddik's input in, in regarding Hashem's involvement in the world. And you see a lot of examples of that with Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem says he wanted to destroy the Jews, and, Hashem, and Moshe defended them. 
So Hashem, Hashem can make a decree. So that's why it's important to have tzaddikim. So obviously, obviously, we're in the midst of a very serious decree from Hashem. The fact that it's uh, so much on the media doesn't lessen the danger. Okay, so it's a tremendous danger, and we hope that one of one of the things is tzaddikim can overturn that decree. Okay, continue the next pasuk. These are the names of David's mighty men, the one who sat uh, on, at the assembly on Shabbos. So he gives a whole bunch of names, and it's very unusual who are all these people and who's sitting over there. So my comer, what's the verse saying when it says, Bashevis, the one who sat in the assembly, you'll see there's a bunch of words that are still coming up. I don't think Art Scroll brought the whole Pusik yet. No, he did not bring the whole Pusik. We could look at it in Shmuel. I don't know. So look what it says. Elishmosa Gabirima Sherla David. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Yoshev Bashevis. So one who sat in the assembly. Tachemoni, a sagacious man, Rosh Hashalishi, the head of the captains, for who Adino or Adini Etsni. Where's the Etsni over there? Yeah, Adino Ho Etsni. He is Adino the Etsni. Al Shmonas Meas over 800 corpses, Bapamachas at one time. Very unusual. So, who are all these names over here? <laughs> who are all these names? A very strange possum. So Gmore is now going to go through each clause and explaining every pasuk. Gmore says now, my, let's back it up. My Kamar, what is the verse saying with all these different words? So Amar Ravavo, Ravavo says, Hafei Kamar, this is what the Tavid Melech meant to say. These aren't the warriors, but these are the names of David's mighty deeds. So Giborim is not to be understood as mighty men, but as Givuros, which is mighty accomplishments. Ah, these are the mighty accomplishments of David. So let's see what the mighty accomplishments are. Number one, Yoshev Basheves. He sat in a low position. This is his humility. When David sat in the yeshiva learning Torah, now he's a king. He really should give himself a real chash of seat. Nope. He didn't sit upon mattresses and cushions. But rather he sat on the ground. Why? As long as his teacher, whose name was Ira Hayairi, when he was alive, so he showed humility to him. Ira would teach the rabbis while he was sitting on mattresses and cushions. <coughs> and when Ira died, David taught all the rabbis. And still, he still sat on the ground teaching everybody else on the ground. So they all said, they said, so let the master, let the king sit on the mattress and cushions. You're the Rosh Hashiva now. He did not accept upon himself an elevated position despite the fact he was king. So that shows his might. What might? Might of humility. 
he didn't, it's, it's interesting why he didn't, you know, I guess his other Rebbe felt, maybe I guess since he was already a king, he has to show some uh, semblance of humility in Torah. So is this the Rebbe when he was a king? The, this is David. You know, I'm just saying the, the gentleman that, that taught this era person. Era was the Rebbe, but then uh, era and sat then on the passed, pillows. He, passed away he, he died. Yeah, but I'm just saying when was the time? Was it before he became king? Or no, he when he was king. When he was king. For sure, when he was king. So even though he was king, he showed a certain um, uh, control, self-control, that he didn't want to be so arrogant. What's the next uh, uh, exhibit of this behavior? Tachkimoni. What's tachkimoni? You see the word chacham is in there. Omar Rav, Rav says, Omar la Kodesh Baruch Hashem says to him, now that you did the first thing, now that you lowered yourself, by sitting on the ground while teaching Torah, right? You made yourself very humble. So now it's a contraction, not of Chacham, but Tehei Kamoni. You should be like me. So it's an acronym. If you take the letter uh, uh, Hey, tach, tach, uh, so just the letter Hey is substitute for the Ches because they make the same guttural sound. So they're both. So the word is read as. Tehei kamoni, tach tach kamoni, okay, tach kamoni. Take that ches and turn it into a hey. So pretend a hey is over there, and then that's short for tehei. You shall be kamoni like me. And what does that mean, like me? This is what he referenced before. You can make, I can make a harsh degree, and you can cancel it. All right, so now we understand. So look at the might of David. Number one, he was humble. He sat on the ground. Now, in the merit of being humble, he can be tehei kamoni. You can be like me, that what? I make a decree, and you can knock off my decree. Next point, he's called Rosh HaShalishim, the head of the Shalishi. What does that mean? Tehei Rosh L'Shlosh Esavos. You shall be the leader of the three fathers. Meaning what? He will lead the forefathers into the world to come, according to Rashi, or well, according to Gemara Sachim, that when the resurrection of the dead happens, there'll be a feast for the righteous, and all the righteous will have a discussion who's going to lead the benching, whatever this means, and everyone's going to say, I have a little fault. Avram said, I had a fault, and I had a Yishmo. Yitzchak said, I had a fault, and I had an Esau. And we go down the line. They all said this fault, that fault. Comes along David and says, I will lift the coast of Bracha up to Hashem. Because he had certain merits, obviously. What was Yaakov's fault? He didn't have any bad... Any he married two sisters. Oh. He married two sisters, which was permitted at the time. It was Horah Shah, but it's not ultimately what should be done. So again, for for a tzaddik, remember these are tzaddikim that are picking the littlest points. What what does it matter? He had a yishmol. What does that have to do with him? I I I have to go, go I have to go over that Gemara. Maybe said I don't remember. We'd have to. We could look up the Gemara. Yeah, that's true. That's good. That's a good one. Probably a lot. 
Okay, here it is. Here it is. In the future, God's going to make a, a a feast for the righteous, right? Okay, they're going to give Avram the cup. He's going to say, "Any mavarach shots him any yishmal." Like in that, Amalei Yitzchak, go make the bracha. Says, "Any mavarach shots him any Esav." Es came for me. Comes to Yaakov, he'll say, "I married two sisters." Okay, and later on the Torah forbid it. They said to Moshe, and he said, I can't make the brachas. I didn't merit to go into Eretz Yisrael, not in my lifetime and not even in my death. <coughs> go to Yeshua, and Yeshua's going to say, I can't make the bracha because I never had a son. It's just not fair. They say to David, take the bracha cup, and he says, for me, it's proper to make the bracha David built Yerushalayim and his son Shlomo built the temple hence David was indeed qualified to say there was no impediment to his thanking God he did tshuva yeah, for Bashem remember he taught the world about tshuva that was what we just said he taught everyone to do tshuva so therefore David HaMelech gets it so he is again the Rosh Lishloshes Avos he's the head of the three Avos and it really, he completes the chariot also. We have four wheels to the chariot. Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, David, because he's the end point. David is Malchus. That is the whole point of it all is Mashiach. So therefore, that's the next explanation. Now, one more, two, a couple more things. Who Adino Ha'etzni? He's called Adino Ha'etzni. Very strange wording. What does that mean? Means Kishaya Yoshev Alishik Vitara when he sat engaged in Torah, who Adain at small kitolas, he bent himself like a worm. Okay. Adino comes from the root Eden, which is to bend his torso forward. So his hands rested on his legs and he inclined towards the ground. So therefore he would again abase himself when learning Torah, because Torah is incompatible with pride. So that's on the one hand. I mean, now it's showing you that he can hold two contradictory mitos within his personality. On the one hand, he humbles himself like a worm when it's time to learn Torah. But when he goes out to war, he'd make himself hard like a wood. And that's the word, the one who resembles wood. So therefore, Dovod HaMelech could always behave as the situation warranted. Can you imagine the guy's by Man, imagine a, a Rosh Hashiva who's so soft-spoken and just when he learns to and, and then all of a sudden, when a terrorist comes, he comes out and boom, and takes his nunchucks and kills the guy like that. That's two different personalities within one person. That's what Dov is able to do. The last point is, over 800 corpses at one time. What does it mean? He would shoot an arrow. And he killed 800 at one time. Now, although the Pusik makes no mention of an arrow, it does say he killed 800 at one time. So it's like with one blow, okay, <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. I mean, the arrow went through 800 bodies. Okay, this must be this some kind of allegorical yeah. understanding. What? Yeah. I don't know. It's my theory. It's my theory. But it makes sense. Uh, anyway, whatever. He, he, he was able to kill 801 shot. But wait a minute. He was not happy with that. Why? 
Because he sighed over the 200 he didn't get. Because what does the Pasuk say in Devarim? It's going to say, How is it possible that one can pursue a thousand? That if you're truly righteous, you can pursue a thousand. So now he says, Ah, I feel so bad. I only can get 800. I'm not righteous enough that I can't get a thousand. Ah, why didn't he get a thousand? Yotzavaskov, a voice from heaven came out and said, Rak Bidvar Uriachiti, except for the matter of Uriachiti, he was a complete righteous man, but because of that lapse, he didn't merit the last 200 to get a thousand in one blow. Sorry, well, we don't understand what? Okay. I know, Shelly's got this thing for David and Uriah. Okay, one time, one time I'm going to have to give up a class on this. One time. We got to exonerate David. That's all. We got to exonerate. What? He made an error. He made an error in judgment. David made an error in judgment. Okay. He didn't make sure he got killed. Okay, well, it's not time to go into that. Okay. I, I got before, before I retire, I have to give a good class on this so Shelly will be better 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 attuned to David Amelov's challenges okay anyway now that we finished this topic we go finally back to excommunication which is still off the topic of mourning but still we're on excommunication and here's a lot of names Amr of Tamchem Breda Rebbechia Ishkvarako Amr of Yaakov Baracha it's this fellow the son of this and then this and for Amar, and some say, no, it was not in his name, but in Rav Simoy's name. For Amar and some say, no, it was Amar of Tanchen, Amar of Huna. Rav Tanchen said in the name of Huna. For Amar and some says, Amar of Huna Lechidei. Rahuna said it by himself. So I'm not exactly sure where the origins of that statement is, but we move now on to the top of Yud Zayin Rav. The question now is, how far-reaching does an excommunicative ban go? So Talmud Shenita Lichvodo. If a student, a rabbinical student, excommunicates someone for the sake of his honor, meaning to excommunicate, committed an, committed an act of disrespect or against the student, one that did not rise the level of contempt against the Torah. In other words, he didn't say apicorsus, like against her, but there was a disrespect to the student. So, therefore, he deserves, so, so a student can excommunicate someone over his honor. What, if he does that, if he says, you are now excommunicated, does it work? The excommunication is a valid one, and people have to remain at a distance of four amas from him. We're not talking about a rinky-dink student. We're talking about a Talmud Chacham. We're talking about a great rabbi, but he's still a student of a greater rabbi. Okay, a real, you know, yeshiva bachar who's learned many, many years. And if he puts someone in cherem, in nidui, rather, everyone else has to stay four amas away from him. That's a fact. And how do we know that? Titania, for we learned the following in a b'risa. B'risa lives a number of scenarios. Menuder l'rav. Let's say someone is excommunicated to the teacher. The teacher excommunicates him. Then Menudo Talmud, he's excommunicated also to all his students. If the teacher excommunicates a guy, 
he has to stay away not just from the rabbi, but from all the rabbi's students. Now, menuda letalmid, if you're excommunicated to the student, ain't a menuda rough. You're not excommunicated to the teacher. Teachers on a higher level. Now, but what's the implication of that, Bryson? You're excommunicated to the student, not to the rabbi. Right. Well, there's other people there. What about the other students? Yes. Well, implication would be yes. Why? Because it says only not excommunicated to the rabbi. Only to the rabbi. The implication is l'rav hudeinu menuda. To the rabbi, he's not excommunicated. Right. To everybody else, he is excommunicated. Well, it, it depends the honor that we're giving to people. When when the rabbi excommunicates you, that means for the honor of the rabbi, you're away from all his students, right? So now, but if a student, he doesn't have that much honor that he can't speak to the rabbi. But to the other people, is excommunicated. So now the question is, well, what did the guy do wrong to get excommunicated for this halacha to apply? What did the fellow do? What was the offense? Now, even right? If it's something he did invoking heavenly matters, okay, whatever he did a certain avera, and the student told him stop. Oh, I'm not stopping. The student now excommunicates him. Well, if that's the case, then he should be excommunicated from everybody, even the rabbi, because it's a sin to God. So everybody has to, you know, punish him, so to speak. As we say, There's no wisdom or understanding or counsel against Hashem. In other words, nobody is important when compared to Hashem. So when it's a desecration of Hashem's name, so uh, then every nobody can be exempt from the excommunication. Elawad, elalav, lichvod atzmo. I guess it was for his own honor. The guy offended him. Okay. So it's, and that, the Bryson says, the offenders communicate to everyone else. So what do you see? A proof? When a rabbinical student issues an excommunication for his honor, the excommunication valid for other people. Now, Amar Rav Yosef comes along, Rav Yosef, we have a, uh, a related ruling. A young rabbinical student of Adil Avshay can enforce the law for himself. What does that mean? Even though we rule that any person may take extra legal measures to protect his property or rights, and this is so even if he will suffer no irre- irretrievable loss by waiting until the court adjudicates, Yosef must nonetheless expressly include Torah scholars in this law. What's he saying? He's saying if you really think, let's say, let's say somebody steals something from you. It's like it's not a question. It's not like I thought you thought. You, you're in your house, there's the hen house, and this uh, Jew goes in and steals a chicken. You see with your own eyes. It's like this is not like up for any decision. And you're being honest now. So do you have to wait to go to court to get the chicken? In other words, does the Torah believe in a certain degree of vigilantism? So the answer is yes. I mean, why bother the court? It's your chicken. He took your chicken. You can go to the guy, hey, why are you taking my chicken? Ah, I'm hungry. Okay, fine. So it's clear. So what you can do, you can take it back. You can do what's necessary. You can use force to take the bars. Well, obviously, if the guy's not going to give you back the chicken, well, you can't kill him for a chicken. <laughs> but, 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 but if the guy wants to kill you, you could. Oh, yeah. You got to know who you're dealing with. 
So really this halacha with everybody. But he's saying it also regarding a Torah scholar. So why do you got to say it also for that? Because one might think we, they have to deal more pleasantly. Remember, the, he has to always go beyond the letter of the law. It's not suitable for the Torah scholar to go pushing the guy and punching the guy and grabbing from the guy. So he has to go to court. No, no, he can do his own judgment. If he's strong enough, he, he can make his own judgment. Again, a young rabbinical zone may enforce the law for himself. Take the law into your own hands. In a matter that is clear to him. Let's say a monetary dispute. He knows he lent them the money. He knows. Let's say he didn't have a star. Okay, he didn't have a star. Let's but he knows he loves the guy never paid him back. So if the guy refuses to pay, he could take it. That's the way Rashi words. Others hold, however, that Raviosa speaks not of financial communication, but of excommunication, which is the topic under discussion. Well, two different explanations. Take judgment for yourself, either get your money back, or excommunicate the guy. So he's saying not only may a rabbinical student issue a partial excommunication for the sake of his own honor, but also in a case where excommunication is obviously deserved, such as where one Jew calls another a slave. The student can excommunicate the offender with the full force of a bezdin, so the offender is excommunicated. All right, so we see two different halachas coming out of here. Either you could take what's rightfully yours, or you can excommunicate someone for that which is necessary. What? And we will now, now have a few stories of people that would need to be excommunicated but it's not so easy to excommunicate them. That we will see tomorrow. Okay, we got a, a big, long, uh, 30, 33 minutes today.